Hello, I'm Louise Makshari and welcome to Real Talk with Real Mums, an expert-advised and mum-approved podcast that looks at the issues of everyday pregnancy with healthcare professionals and the real women who have gone through the pregnancy journey. We're online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie or you can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud or your preferred podcasting service. You can talk to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast and we would love to hear what you think of the series so far. On this episode, we want to talk about maybe an overlooked person in the pregnancy experience, the partner. What can a partner do to be supportive? What are the things a partner needs to know about the different stages of pregnancy and what they need to prepare for before the big day? To help us answer those questions later, we'll have Sue Hogan, a midwife in the parent education department in the Rotunda. But first, we're joined by Renee Von Medding, who has her own unique perspective on the parental relationship. Renee and her partner, Audrey, went through reciprocal IVF to conceive both of their girls, Ava and Aria. Thank you so much for joining us today, Renee. So let's just start with reciprocal IVF. Um, a lot of people wouldn't be familiar with that as a concept. So could you just give us the lowdown? Yeah, so reciprocal IVF basically means when you have two females in a relationship and one of the women donates the eggs and the other carries the baby. So it's basically a standard IVF split between two women. Uh, nothing more complicated than that. So one of you is the birth parent and the other is the biological parent. Right. So, it seems like a great way to do it. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, when we started talking about having kids... We didn't even know it was a thing, um, but we just kind of said to each other, wouldn't that be cool? Because we always knew that I was the one that wanted to be pregnant. Um, but we were like, wouldn't it be cool if we could use your eggs? Mm. And um, when we started looking into it, we saw that it was actually a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we were really excited. We should say that Aria is here. So if you're if you hearing hear little noises, little baby noises, <laughs> that's what's going on there. Um, so you said there that you always knew that you were the person who wanted to be pregnant. Yeah. And Audrey wasn't up for that or you wanted it more or? It just kind of made sense with um, with our life yeah. and our jobs uh, physically. Um, we're just the type like I'm I'm the type that, you know, I wanted to breastfeed. I wanted yeah. to be have the bump. Yeah. You know, I wanted all of that. Whereas Audrey is kind of like, I would do it if I had to. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she would have if, you know, it didn't work the other way. Um, but it just made sense. And then just with our, yeah, with jobs, it made sense. I was more freelance um, and she had a steadier job. It just made sense, you know. Yeah, it's funny. I remember when I was pregnant with my son, um, my oldest child, I never know how to distinguish between the one that I'm carrying now and the one who's already born but uh, I remember saying to my husband like are you jealous at all that I'm having this experience of carrying you know the baby and and you know I said I think I would be if it was the other way around and he was like absolutely not no I'm very happy with this (laughs) so it is funny I think I suppose it just depends on who you are and and how you feel about the physical experience of it but I definitely would have wanted to to carry as well how did you find it uh, being pregnant or going through the IVF? Well, both. Um, so the IVF was a, you know, a difficult process. Like just going through IVF in general is really difficult. You know, physically, emotionally, financially, everything. Um, but we had to go abroad for treatment because reciprocal IVF is not available in Ireland. So Why we is had. That? It's just not legislated for. So when we when we went to a clinic originally and we asked if that's what we could do, they said, look, we'd love to do it for you. It's very easy, very straightforward, but we're, we can't, our hands are tied. Uh, so we were advised either go somewhere in Europe or go to the UK. Yeah. And we ended up going to Spain 
uh, first and then we went to Portugal um, it was just a lot cheaper than going to the UK yeah so going abroad for treatment is an you know an even harder thing to do because mm. um you're you know there's the language barrier there's you know trying to figure out the you know the flight and accommodation and time off work and uh, there's so much to consider even before you start thinking about the actual treatment yeah um, and the finances oh my god yeah um and for us when we started looking into it there was no information whatsoever about reciprocal IVF in Ireland nothing there was zero information so we were just totally Starting in the dark from the beginning yeah, yeah. Um, so that was it was tough yeah yeah that's and is there any talk of legislating or does there seem to be any progress on that well there's so much going on at the minute because um that is a really um Im- important thing that they need to legislate for as well as other things you know surrogacy lots of things to do with um assisted human reproduction but the bigger thing i suppose at the moment is the fact that same-sex parents don't have equal rights to other parents um so that's an even i guess more prominent um piece of legislation that needs needs to happen Mm. so in terms of the ivf itself because obviously you had you had all of those extra challenges of having to travel and stuff like that but ivf in in and of itself is tough yeah how did you find it physically um i think it was Possibly, like, so the the treatment that Audrey had to go through is the egg collection, mm-hmm. which is the kind of really heavy, anyone who's gone through IVF, that's the heavy duty stuff. Well, I mean, obviously being pregnant is also heavy duty, but um, the actual hormonal treatment uh, is the egg collection. So she had to take all of that to stimulate basically your body to produce loads of eggs instead of one yeah. per cycle. Um, so that, you know, that was hard on her, but because we were away and we were essentially having a really nice holiday, um, it was actually quite nice. You know, Mm -hmm. we didn't have to worry about working. We just kind of hung out, had nice food, you know, went for walks, went swimming, Mm -hmm. you know, did nice things. So it made it a little bit easier, I think. Um, and then while she was doing that, then we kind of had to sync it up that I would do the hormonal treatment to get ready for the embryo transfer um and it that was fine I suppose it's it's kind of like an extra bad period I suppose yeah funny that you were both going through kind of intense hormonal changes at the same time though (laughs) how was that for your relationship (laughs) it was actually I mean the first time was different because we had no children yeah and then the second time we had a one and a half year old yeah Uh, so it was definitely a different experience the the second time around yeah um, definitely harder yeah the second time around yeah well I mean even just for me pregnancy having a child already yeah. is difficult yeah. because you're tired and yeah. you're you know you don't have the same amount of attention you yeah. can give to your yeah. partner and yeah. all of those things yeah 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 so throw throw hormonal changes in on top of that I can imagine that would be tricky enough um but how how quickly were you able to to get pregnant both times so the first time um on the first cycle we did a fresh embryo transfer and um I did get pregnant but I had a really early miscarriage um we then had uh some frozen embryos and we just decided to just keep going for it so um we had a month in between and then had another transfer um and I got pregnant right away with Ava Mm. um so really lucky that we didn't have to just keep trying and keep trying Mm. how did you find that early miscarriage though it was really tough because we were so sure it would work. Yeah. We were we, we knew all the statistics, but you always kind of think that you're going to be the one that like you don't have any 
losses and you don't you know it just works yeah. um so we just kind of thought that that would be us you know yeah so yeah it was really difficult but I guess I just put on my I'm such I, I'm such a planner and a controller that I just kind of put my hat on that I was like okay well we're just going to keep going and we're going to do it again and yeah. it's going to work the next time yeah so how how did you find going through the IVF and then having that loss and then the pregnancy how did that impact your relationship um I guess we were just it's, it's all a bit of a blur to be honest you know um I think I think it brought us closer together yeah um because you know I think going through a really hard um situation in any relationship is going to do one of two things it's either gonna it's gonna make you stronger or it's gonna break you yeah. you know and I think it, it just kind of made us stronger as a team you know do you think that there's anything in particular that you did that worked or that meant that you kind of came together in a more strong way rather than kind of dividing I guess kind of listening to each other's opinions and kind of drowning out the rest because especially when you're going through fertility treatment or as a same-sex couple of people or even as any any sort of a couple of people have so many opinions yeah and I think um that can kind of start to divide you sometimes yeah um so we kind of just made a pact I suppose that we would just kind of have each other's backs and listen to each other and you know try to drown out the noise yeah you know yeah people do have a lot of opinions about <laughs> any kind of pregnancy so I can only imagine in that yeah. situation what you all you probably had it coming at you from all directions yeah. um so then what about your pregnancies how did you find them so I'm a type one di- type one diabetic so um a bit more complicated yeah um so I on my first pregnancy I was admitted here in the rotunda actually um at five I wasn't even five weeks and wow. I was admitted um just for blood sugar stabilization um and it was really bizarre I was on a ward with like very pregnant people and I was like I feel very strange being here yeah yeah I bet five <laughs> um, weeks yeah God, you barely had time to get your head around it yeah yeah um but actually then I it it worked out really well because I ended up having a bleed while I was here um totally freaked out just was so sure it was all over uh they got me in for a scan and they were able to see a very very early heartbeat oh wow yeah yeah so that was was, that moment like oh it was well it was just first of all it was like so reassuring because I was like okay it's not all over yet yeah (laughs) um and it was just amazing because it was yeah like five weeks and I'm it's like a tiny little like yeah little flutter flicker, but yeah. yeah flicker but it's something you know yeah. yeah it's funny isn't it you spend so much well I certainly have found in my experience that you you spend so much of early pregnancy just kind of in a state of low level terror because yeah. you're so scared that yeah. something's gonna go wrong yeah. or and, and you can kind of well I, I I don't know it depends on the kind of person you are I suppose I kind of had a tendency to just convince myself that this is probably not gonna work out so like <laughs> it's probably just best if you just accept that <laughs> I can remember Set yourself up yeah, yeah, just completely being like, you know, you're probably not going to stay pregnant. So just don't get <laughs> overexcited. But then it is amazing when you get to a point where you feel you can relax a little bit. And Yeah, and that was always 24 weeks for me. I was always just 24 weeks, get yeah. to 24 weeks. And then it's like, okay, yeah. I'm here. <laughs> yeah. And so what about, um, you got through your pregnancies and were there any other complications around your diabetes or? Um, I was admitted a couple of times. Um, I think I got uh, some sort of vomiting bug at about 35 weeks. 
and they thought that was going to send me into labor yeah. um so they, they had oh my yes. goodness she's really chatting there um she loves that microphone yeah this is you, you could be coming for my job Aria. <laughs> I know. I know. um so yeah I was admitted a couple of times and it was just it was difficult like I was in every two or three weeks at the diabetes clinic yeah. um I wasn't on an insulin pump at the time so mm-hmm. it was a lot harder to manage I didn't have a uh, continuous glucose sensor which I have now right um so it's a, a so much easier to manage now yeah. with all of the equipment that I have but yeah. on my first pregnancy I didn't have that so it was definitely a lot harder yeah and was that stressful uh yeah it was very stressful um because you know every time you have uh, high sugar you're like oh I'm damaging my baby yeah. and then I was having like 10 lows a day which if anyone has ever had a low blood sugar as a diabetic it's not a pleasant experience it's kind of like being drunk but like not in a good way yeah so then I mean you have two babies so you obviously delivered them um how were the deliveries um so I was induced on both um you know it's the policy in Ireland not to let diabetic mothers go past 39 weeks uh sometimes a lot earlier than that um you'd be induced I but you know I even though it was difficult, I did manage the sugars really, really well uh, throughout both. And so I made it to 39 weeks on Ava. So I was booked in to be induced with her. And as the taxi was waiting to bring us in, my waters went. Oh, no way. Yeah. Um, which was so typical of that pregnancy. It was the same. She was breech up until like 36 and something. Yeah. And I was told that I had a cutoff point of where she, you know, if she didn't flip we'd have to start thinking about booking in a section. Yeah. And she flipped a half an hour before the scan. Wow. You know, so it was just so typical of that pregnancy that it was all kind of she like She was on doing her things terms. on her terms, yeah. yeah. And she still does. <laughs> um, so because my waters had gone, they let me kind of just go for it. They didn't even examine me. They, I came in and I was just on the induction ward, but I just wow. hung out there for a day. How did you feel about that? It was actually perfect because I wasn't on a ward with laboring people (laughs) and there were people coming and going and it was basically just me for most most of the 24 hours. Yeah. Um, People would come and then go very quickly, Um, but it was actually perfect. Um, So I was there for 24 hours and then the next day um, they decided needed to kick things, step things up because I was in kind of slow labor, but it wasn't nothing much was happening. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was induced and it kind of just went from zero to a thousand very quickly. Um, you've been induced. I have. It's not a... It's not, not nice. It can, it can be an okay experience, but it also can be very difficult on the body. Um, and I found it very difficult. Um, yeah. I was all ready to, you know, manage my pain. And when it, when it kicked up, I was like... Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I do think now I've only been induced, but it seems from the conversations that I've had with people, with midwives, with other mothers, it does seem to be a different kind of pain. Yeah. Um, I certainly, I never have any issue saying that my epidural was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I went into, I went into the experience thinking, you know, well, we'll see, like, you know, be great. I have a high pain threshold and I do, and we'll see how I get on it. I, to this day, when I think about it, I smile because it was the relief of it was just unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was panicking because, um, again, I didn't have my pump and my sensor. So I, I was there in the throes of like these contractions that were just not stopping at all. 
trying to like prick my finger and and oh then they gosh. and they were trying to hook me up to like an insulin pump like a drip and I you know I just felt like I was going low and I had no idea what was going on and I was just panicking yeah like, well that's time. scary I mean all of that yeah. is scary any one yeah. element of that is scary yeah, so yeah. put them all together yeah yeah um, so when I finally got the epidural it was like amazing um but then I wish I could go back and do the first birth again knowing what I know now yeah. because um my second induction was an entirely different experience because I between the two births I learned a lot about how induction can be a very different experience and how you can be in different um, positions yeah. when you have an epidural so um, I, yeah, I, I had done gentle birth and I just I did not want to give birth the way I gave birth the first time yeah. nothing against the pain meds nothing against ep- yeah. epidural but I didn't want to be on my back with my legs and stirrups yeah. with 20 people in the room yeah. I just didn't want all of that I, yeah, I someone telling me to hold to that, my yeah. breath I just wanted to birth my baby yeah. you know and if I needed help I would ask for it and if I was panicking I would get the help um, but I didn't need to like so I, ha- I I had the induction and I managed for a long time with with nothing I actually kind of just got so into a zone where I kind of for I forgot I had a tens machine I didn't didn't even come out of the bag I forgot that there was such a thing as gas and air I just kind of was just so in it yeah. up until a point where I was like okay now I'm ready now I'm ready for the epidural yeah and then once I got the epidural I spent most of the time um up and over the back of the bed um I like Audrey just helped me into that position and I just kind of lay over the back of the bed and then when I was pushing I spent a lot of time in that position and then I was kind of on my side with her supporting me when I actually gave birth I was kind of it was just so perfect like her head came out I like I felt her head I reached down and that was one of the things I wanted to do that I never got to do the first time so I was like looking down at her head and then like as soon as she was born I grabbed her and pulled her up to my chest which is exactly what I wanted to do yeah whereas the first time she was just kind of taken from me and rushed over and there was like you know all these doctors in the room it was yeah. just such a different experience oh man like you are describing what I want to happen in my second birth versus what happened in my first birth so it's really good to hear that that can happen the second time absolutely can happen yeah you know. so what would you say then if there are women who are listening who you know may end up being induced or are facing into inductions what 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 are the most important things that you learned between the first and second I think um number one being accepting of the situation that you're in you know because when you're fearful of something and the more you panic and the more you kind of you start to let that doubt and that fear creep in it just everything goes to hell like it really does um the second you start panicking so anything you can do to keep yourself calm and just to be accepting of whatever path that your birth is going to take yeah um, because things don't go to plan and in an ideal world I would not have to be induced yeah. and I could have just let my body go into labor naturally and I would have had a water, water birth but there are so many things stacked against me mm-hmm. you know um, so I kind of had to come to terms with the fact that I knew I would be induced and that I was looking forward to it yeah I knew my baby would be born that day and I knew that I had options of pain relief when I got to the point that I needed it yeah. and I would ask for it I knew that I had, you know, I I didn't have to be lying on my back. I could have different positions. 
And if I had wanted to be on my back in the end, I would have done that. But I, it would I would have done on my terms. I think yeah. that's the biggest thing was um, when you're doing something because someone's telling you to do it, um, you, you have your power taken away from you. So it's about taking your power back. Yeah. You know, if you thought that there was someone who was listening who, you know, could take one thing from your experience. I guess that there are just, there are so many ways to becoming a parent. You know, it's not just um, one way. Um, there are so many different ways. There's, you know, there's two women, there's two men, there's a woman and two men. There's, you know, there's grandparents who raise kids. There's, you know, there's all different types of family setups and um, I guess just becoming more more aware of that and more more open to that. Um, so it's not, um, it's not unusual, you know. Yeah, well, the more that we have conversations like yeah, this, I yeah. think the more people will become, you know, adjusted to the fact that families take all shapes and sizes. So yeah. I really, really yeah. appreciate you coming and being so open with me today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Renee. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Sue Hogan is a midwife in the parent education department in the Rotunda Hospital, where they run antenatal classes for mums and partners. So Sue, welcome. Thank you for taking the time to come and talk to me today. Maybe we might start by you explaining a little bit about what your role is and what it entails. So of course. So yeah, I work over in the parent education department, where our aim would be to um, prepare parents for the birth of their, their baby or babies. Um, and the first couple of weeks of parenthood. Um, we actually work alongside the physiotherapy department oh. um, and the lactation consultants and the mental health support midwives and the medical social workers. So together, it's kind of a multidisciplinary approach to parent education. So the women would meet all of us at some point over the six-week course that they mm. would attend. Sometimes I think um, as women, we just have this expectation that like we'll have a baby and we'll just know what to do. Like we'll know everything. Um, but that's not necessarily the case, is it? In my opinion, no. Yeah. I do think that instinct does play a huge, huge part in it. Um, but I do think as well that knowledge is power, you know. And I think that something that, you know, we can we can prepare for the day um we can't unfortunately we can't plan the day um the baby will make the plan but I think the time that we spend preparing for that will you know go hugely towards our birthing experience on the day so for example um you know as the baby is making the plan you know if you have a little bit of an awareness of you know you mentioned inductions earlier when you were talking with Renee Um, you know if you have a little bit of an awareness of an induction what it entails how long it would generally take well your induction is going to go much smoother because now you're going with the flow because you kind of had a bit of an expectation whereas if you were just going into this blankly assuming sure I'll probably just know you know um, maybe you might get a surprise when it was lasting maybe longer than a day or rolling into a day two so I think the more preparation work we do probably the more likelihood that it will be a a positive experience on the day. Yeah, because also, I mean, presumably you would feel much more kind of safe and confident within the the situation. What I did to educate myself on my first pregnancy was watch literally every episode of One Born Every Minute, which I felt was um, apt and appropriate (laughs) 
<laughs> With hindsight, I don't know. Was that the best idea? It certainly made me feel like I was aware of maybe some of the complications that might come during delivery. And it made me feel like, no, the, you know, these things happen all the time and, you know, medical team is prepared for them. But I, I don't think I ever thought beyond the baby arriving. Um, is, do you think that's common? that people kind of forget that you're going to have to do stuff with the baby after it's born. Absolutely. And, you know, for that very reason, we have a class devoted to parent care, to baby care, you know. So um, I suppose the way our course would work would be um, class one, the women would come in and they would meet the medical social worker, the physiotherapist, they'd meet myself or my colleague Margaret, um, and they would meet the mental health support midwives. And then class two, we would start talking about, um, you know, this upcoming birth. So class two, the women and their partners would meet the physiotherapists where they would talk about, you know, breathing techniques mm-hmm. um, you know, the importance of gravity, different positions for labor. Class three, they come and they meet either myself or my colleague Margaret, where we elaborate a little bit more on the physiology behind the labor, when to go to hospital, what you could be doing at home. Um, pain relief options what happens after the birth and we also cover instrumental deliveries cesarean sections inductions you know and why these things might happen Mm -hmm. Um, class four we cover infant feeding and that class is also um, I suppose backed up or it works in synergy with a breastfeeding workshop that the lactation consultants would run class five we cover baby care so we spend you know two hours talking about you know how often do you think we would give a baby a bath you know how do we change a nappy um you know how do we put a baby down to sleep safely and what about car seats you know mm. and what do we do there and where should they be sleeping and what blankets should we be using you know so we do spend a lot of time talking about baby care however back to your question I do find that still at the end of class five the partners are coming up and they're asking me to just run through the car parking for the day the labor again (laughs) so they do they find it hard to get past that birth you know but it's still I think great even that they're hearing this information at least once and the midwives over in the hospital are amazing and they're just going to back it all up again you know so I'm going through a baby bath over in class five but you know the majority of the babies are getting a one-to-one bath demo before they go home as well you know I'm going through nappy care I'm hoping that you know the women and the partners are taking this on board um but as well if it is a thing that they're just preoccupied with let's get the birth over because there are an awful lot of people who can just only do or focus on one thing and then they move on to the next thing, you know, but at least they've heard it before. So when they yeah. come over here in the, to the hospital, the midwives are just kind of building on what they've heard. And, yeah. uh, you know, and they and then at home as well, I suppose they have we do have a class six as well. And the physiotherapy therapists um, would host that class. And that's where they would spend time talk rehashing over you know, the positions and the breathing for labor. Um, but they would also spend time talking about um, pelvic floor exercises and tummy time and mm. you know um physiotherapy related you know things with baby did this um, yeah. the course is it available to everyone who has a baby in the hospital um yeah absolutely so our six-week course is available for public private semi-private women so whoever would like to attend can just book at their booking visit so they just mention it to their midwife or whoever and is the booking it. visit just so because we it comes up yeah. a lot that's your first your first your appointment first. in the hospital yeah, yeah. you kind of 12 week appointment or yeah. 14 week appointment where you'll meet the midwife meet the doctor and have a scan yeah what do you think is the most important thing that people learn on the course 
um, I think that it is, for, for me, I, I think it's important to know that, that, that it is a completely normal physiological process, you know, and for the majority of women, they're going to have a lovely, normal birth. Um, for me, I think the most important message to get across to women is that um, here is all the information. Um, however, on the day, the baby will ultimately make the plan. And the biggest and most important thing that you can do is just stay calm and go with the flow, whatever that plan is. Um, and I think if women are going into their births, I suppose, with that mindset, um, there's a much more likely chance that you know, that they are going to stay calm. You know, a positive birthing experience isn't necessarily a normal vaginal birth. Mm. You know, it can be a cesarean section. It can be an instrumental delivery once the woman is feeling calm and in control. Yeah. You know, and you might be thinking, well, how would you be control in control if you were having an instrumental delivery? Well, you're in control if you know exactly why this is happening and you know that it's the best thing for you and your baby and you've probably heard a little bit about it before which goes back to your question about one born every minute that I think these programs are absolutely fine to watch you know if you're the type of person you know your personality so you know if you're the type of person who craves to know more and you think well I'm going to watch these programs coupled with the information that I'm getting from the hospital I think that's absolutely fine I think possibly watching the programs alone with no other information then you might be a little bit confused at times as to why this or that happened but I think sometimes it is a nice little rounder upper after the course you know you'll find that when you do watch these programs they actually make so much sense then and you're thinking ah she's having an instrumental she must be more than 10 centimeters because you can't have an instrumental if you're more you know so you kind of they they know the information to use almost yeah exactly so what would you say if someone's listening and they're saying okay I would love to be calm and feel in control but I know that I'm a very anxious person um, and I'm likely to be anxious in the context of this experience is there anything that people can do aside from obviously getting the information via the course or are there other things that people can do within the experience to try and and maintain that kind of sense of calm I think so yeah so um everyone is different you know so you know when you hear people and they're women and they're talking about getting ready for um their birth and some women are saying and we spend time making a really really nice playlist of all our favorite songs they could be songs that are calming you know for some women it can be their sense of smell you know so we have aromatherapy up on the delivery suite so some women some would find the use of aromatherapy oils really calming what i didn't know that yes we have aromatherapy oils that's another one for your yeah, reference list, making Louise. A list here <laughs> aromatherapy um, <laughs> yeah and we have diffusers up on the delivery suite um so you know Assuming that you have a midwife who's been trained in aromatherapy, um, which, you know, an awful lot of them have been because the hospital ran a recent study day whereby they had an external aromatherapy specialist come in and talk to delivery suite staff. Like that could be a really calming tool as well. Um, I teach hypnobirth. Hypnobirthing could be another option, you know, for someone who knew that they are really anxious, you know, so this isn't, you know, there's a particular woman who will love a hypnobirthing course. There is another woman who won't Won't. particularly love a hypnobirthing (laughs) course you know but for a woman who knows I'm anxious and I have a you know a strong feeling that this could hinder my day you know hypnobirthing I think would probably be a really good option and the reason for people who don't yeah who don't know kind of what's a a quick synopsis of hypnobirthing hypnobirthing oh to to try and explain it really simply um 
what, what I would view it as is a way of just rewiring your brain. So we're not hypnotizing anybody, yeah. um, but you know, we, we have little negative connotations to words. So, you know, when I say contraction, you might think pain. You know, mm. when I think labor, some people think hard work, you know, so it's about trying to shift that. So over the course of a four week, like four weeks, three hour per class, um, we would work with women and their partners and we would, you know, really, I suppose, you know, we would have a huge emphasis on birth as normal. This is the physio- physiology of it. This is how your body works and this is why it should work so well. Um, and then we weave um, tools in there that would keep you calm and relaxed on the day um, I suppose if you are calm and relaxed one of the most important things of labour you know, things of labour let me edit that <laughs> one of the most important um, aspects you know and of labour is the hormones that are involved um, oxytocin is the hormone that's responsible for your contractions and oxytocin can only be produced if you're calm and chilled out and relaxed so if you're calm and chilled out and relaxed your body is producing more and more and more oxytocin so therefore your contractions are becoming more and more and more often and your labor is kind of snowballing at a nice pace and whereas if you're anxious and frightened and worried your body is producing adrenaline which is your fear hormone and adrenaline actually has the ability to make its way around your body nearly like little pac-men just gobbling up or cancelling out all the oxytocins so you can see how if you're fearful or frightened your adrenaline can actually hinder your labor and it could actually slow it down yeah that makes you know. perfect sense um and we, we, would, we would talk about that in our normal six week yeah. program um but we would spend probably a little bit more time working on it in the hypnobirthing and then you know we would then be spending time working on what things that we could be doing to promote oxytocin so this is you know the things that are going to keep you calm and chilled out and relaxed and we do cover all this in the six week um but the hypno hypno birthing we would just we we have more time we have you know 12 hours to spend talking about it over the course of the whole course so so naturally it gets a bit more time yeah um, another aspect of your work here is working with parents who are maybe coming into parenting from a, a slightly different route. Um, could you tell me a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so we would have, you know, um, Renee mentioned earlier how families come in all different shapes and sizes. So, um, you know, we would have couples maybe with visual impairments, um, hearing difficulties. I did a one-to-one course recently for a woman who had to, who due to medical conditions, had to make the difficult decision to um, give her new baby um, up to a fo- to foster to being fostered, um, and she would still have you know visiting um, opportunities, um, but for her she she just wanted you know maybe a two hour you know one to one session with me where I could go through you know how to put a baby down to sleep safely mm. so that she knew and how to dress a baby and how to change a nappy so that she knew when she went over to visit the baby that she's able to slot right in and help out yeah. um, and also that she would have the knowledge to know that you know if there was anything amiss which of course there probably would never be in a foster family because yeah. you know they're vetted and you know but you know just gave her peace of mind that she'd be able to have a look at the baby in the cot and know that baby is down to sleep safely there yeah. these parents are doing a really really good job which yeah. you know just oh it's gotta be bit. so hard um i met with a, a gorgeous couple recently both um 
the woman and her partner were completely blind so they had no vision um, and they were fabulous they came to the six-week course um, and they picked up an awful lot you know over the course of the six weeks and then we just I just popped to my diary a little two-week slot whereby you know we just on a one-to-one level um, you know did a, a, a questions and answers um, you know dressing babies changing nappies putting baby down to sleep safely um, and when I visited them again after they had their baby um, they said that that was huge it just kind of you know brought it all together for them because mm. you know as much as we try in a group environment to um, y- you know to cater for everybody unfortunately there there might be the odd you know video we watch you know yeah. and you know so it's just nice well, to some be able people to just kinda... have more specific needs don't yes they? Yeah. exactly if someone is listening and they feel like they have specific needs or they might need some extra help, how would they go about accessing that? So they would either link in through the medical social worker here in the Rotunda. Um, through the and I presume that would be the same in other hospitals oh, around yeah, the country as absolutely. well. Yeah. Um, because our parent education works so closely with physiotherapy, they could either link in with physiotherapy or with ourselves in parent education. And we would be more than happy to be able to have a little chat and come up with what the best plan would be. Yeah. And, and would that go for anyone who maybe had a bit of anxiety around preparing for a kind of arrival or parenthood and like is there anyone who shouldn't be asking for extra help um I think no I don't think there's anyone who shouldn't be asking for extra help um if they feel they need it if they feel they need it um but I do find that the six week course that we do offer you know I think that women women do give us feedback that they feel a lot less anxious after attending the six weeks because you know I suppose probably with my background in, you know, hypnobirthing and my background in positive birthing and my background in parent education, it is very hard for me not to weave them all together, you know. Yeah. So I find that I would slot important things, you know, aspects around hypnobirthing that I think might benefit the woman who's not necessarily On looking hypnobirthing for hypnobirthing, course, yeah. but I think that would really reduce anxiety around birth. They would naturally just be weaved into yeah. the into our course. And before I let you go, what about the role of the partner? Um, is the partner on the course as well? Absolutely. Yeah. So class one, and it's literally just due to um, physical space in the room. Um, we would always just ask the women to come on their own for that for that course. And it's it, the reason, the rationale behind it is just that you know, class one, we need to get the physiotherapist, the parent education midwife, the men, the mental health support midwife, the medical social worker, the, in some cases, the dietitian, all together. So it's tricky to get all these people together so we don't have as many of those classes. Sure. Um, so for class one, we would ask just the woman if that's okay. Um, and then class two, three, four, five, six, we would love all partners to be there. Um, for the main, well, two reasons. One, so that the partners are completely clued in as to yeah. what is happening and why you know you know we're very aware that these partners aren't midwives you know so if they come to the class and they understand you know how labor works especially how early labor works they're going to be much more calm and comforting and comfortable mm. at home in those early stages then if they didn't come to the class you know you know we there, there could be that chance that they would themselves be panicked yeah. and by default then panic the woman yeah. and then they would end up in here probably a little bit too soon yeah. um so I think for that reason to have the partners there is huge and then secondly you know we all hear different things from a class we all take different aspects of it home with us so you know if I were to attend the antenatal 
class or the labour and delivery class for example and my partner were to come with me chances are we go home that evening and have a chat about it and my partner would have heard things that maybe I didn't hear or maybe you know might help you process it all exactly yeah Yeah. so I think to be able to have the conversations together is is huge so what what is it important for the birthing partner in the delivery suite to know about their role in proceedings I think the most important role of the partner is just to be there you know so a woman a woman who's in labor she's going to be much more calm if she is someone who she knows and she loves and she trusts right beside her so I think just being there is probably the most important thing that that the partner can do um, and then naturally by just being there you know they, they will click into gear in terms of making sure the water in the bath is warm enough filling it back up again helping the woman in and out of the bath little small things you know um, but I think just the being there is the most important thing and that's something that you know even I don't you know the midwife in the hospital she is so knowledgeable and her job is to you know ensure that the woman is her you know her labor is going smoothly and the well-being of the baby um but she can't replicate this love that that you know we don't expect the women to to love us and know us they will know us towards the end of Mm. the day um but I think to have the partner there is just it's it's a little role we can't replicate and it and it's huge and presumably that's that goes for whether it's your partner the par- other parent of the child or you know or your, uh, own your friend parent, or your, your own parent exactly it doesn't matter it's just someone who you know and you love and you trust yeah. because a little familiar face there I think is just you know it's just what we need on that on that journey so it's important for partners to know that literally just their presence is a powerful thing it's the most important thing and it's, it's one of the only things we can't replicate here in the hospital so. <laughs> okay yeah. so they are invaluable invaluable well yeah. thank you so so much sue hogan i really appreciate you coming in to chat today thank you and it was a pleasure to come in thanks for inviting me Thank you so much, Sue, for joining us today. And thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this expert-advised and mum-approved podcast. Chat to us on Twitter at Real Mums Podcast or visit online at realtalkwithrealmums.ie. I'm Louise Makshari, and this has been Real Talk with Real Mums.